Welcome back into the Royals Farm Report podcast. After a long hiatus, we're finally back recording. There's plenty to talk about in the offseason, and uh, we're, we're glad to be back at it. If this is your first time listening over on Royals Review Radio, my name is Joel Penfield. I am the host and producer of this podcast. With me is editor-in-chief of Royals Farm Report, Alex Duvall. How you doing, man? Joel, I am doing fantastic. Uh, we are just a, just a month past Cody Jinks having released his new album, and then a surprise album uh, that both went number one without a label uh, he released them at the exact same time they both went number one they are absolutely phenomenal one is called the wanting the other is called after the fire uh, if you're a fan of country music and don't like the direction it is heading uh, cody jinks kind of sticks to the traditional um, more traditional lines of country music he's got a couple new albums out uh, highly recommend them they are all i've listened to for the last week or so all right, I, that's something I'm definitely going to need to check out. I'm from Oklahoma, and somehow I've managed to never listen to Cody Jinks in my life, so I might uh, might need to get on that here pretty soon. But uh, with uh, with us uh, joining Alex and I tonight is Drake Downing. He's in a hotel somewhere in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. How's it going, man? Uh, actually, I'm in Missouri. Ah, okay. Uh, You're middle of nowhere, I, Missouri. There we go. Right next to Worlds of Fun, so it's not okay. next to nowhere. It's okay. next to something important. It's next to a national landmark. <laughs> So recognized. I'm more, I'm more thinking that you're from middle. You're from the middle of nowhere, Kansas, but you travel all the damn time because you're a train conductor or something, right? That, that yes, that would be true. Okay, uh, I'm 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 doing great. Uh, putting up with this crappy weather, but uh, at least it's not four degrees outside. Uh, I guess I'll give a shout out. Uh, I just recently did a uh, interview with a recent Royals draftee uh, from the 2019 draft, uh, Clay Dungan, who's a middle infielder who helped Idaho Falls to win the Pioneer League Championship this year. Um, I'm editing it right now. should have it up in the next couple of days, depending on my work schedule, but look forward to that. That'll be awesome. We always love whenever we're you know, able to get guys you know on here and kind of just talk about their experiences and all that. That's really the purpose of our site anyways, is to give a platform to the guys uh, in the royal system and i think that that's always really cool when we can kind of we can get guys like that on and it seems like he's a great dude and it seems like it was a pretty good interview yeah he was he was really um really mature he was uh he was funny he was engaging um it's going to be a good interview i think the people are going to like it um and you know just from a baseball standpoint uh 65 games this year uh i think he put up a 357, 427, 494, triple slash line. So, I mean, the dude can rake. He's athletic. Um, we talked about a little bit about his off-season workout schedule, you know, growing up and his time at, uh, in college at Indiana State. So, uh, yeah, I just look forward to it. It was a good one. That's awesome. We're looking forward to that on the site here in the next couple of days. But, boys, we we got a lot to talk about here. It's obviously the off season, but there's still plenty of uh, storylines to talk about with the Royals obviously being the big club with a lot going on there, but also you know what kind of trickles down into the minor leagues. And we'll start here with the, the Rule 5 draft uh, coming up here in a few weeks and the, the deadline for major league organizations to solidify their 40-man roster uh, for next season was today. This is Wednesday the 20th, and the Royals added Nick Heath, Carlos Hernandez, Jason Guzman and Foster Griffin to their 40-man roster to protect them from the Rule 5 draft. In order to do that, they DFA'd Jorge Bonifacio, Nick Dini, Connor Green, and Arnaldo Hernandez. 
Alex, I'll start with you. Were there any surprises out of the group that they added to the 40-man? I think Nick Heath was kind of a slam dunk. We kind of thought that was going to happen. Uh, but was there anybody else you were kind of surprised is going to be on the 40-man? Yeah, Jason Guzman is one that surprised me. And 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 I get that he's he's wildly athletic. Like, in terms of just raw talent, um, he's got 60, 70-grade tools um, across the board. But he hasn't put them together really in the least bit um he wasn't very good he was okay offensively in lexington this year as a 20 year old he posted a 95 uh wrc plus uh and low a ball which means he's five percent worse than league average um he, he is gifted defensively um he can make all the plays there's not a play that he's not capable of making he just doesn't make all of the plays all the time. So it's not like he's, you know, capable of being, you know, Andrelton Simmons or Alcides Escobar or Raul Mondesi when he gets up, or I guess Adalberto Mondesi when he comes to the big leagues, right? So you can't put him in there and just let him play defense because he's great at it. He, I mean, he's making mistakes defensively. So, you know, there's all kinds of tools there, and I understand why other teams would be interested in him as a prospect, but, you know, I. I think the big leagues would have chewed him out, spit him out. He'd be back in the Royals organization by May. Um, but, you know, I don't necessarily hate the move, except that they cut um, Arnaldo Hernandez, which was a move that, you know, I just, I frankly don't understand the logic of. Um, a team like the Royals, who who's desperate for, for good pitchers, should be hoarding all of the 23-year-olds they have that are 97, they should be hoarding them. They should be taking as many as they can. Um, and the Royals cut one. So Arnaldo Hernandez was, <clears throat> excuse me, not very good in uh, Omaha last year, but it's the arm talent that I would have kept around. Um, you know, that's a guy that when you're going to be bad anyways, you can afford to leave in AAA and just let him work. Um, I think we've heard from multiple sources that, um, including a scout that said he got too infatuated with his movement, wasn't focused enough on throwing really hard. And so I think, you know, between the stuff that I have seen and the stuff that we've heard, there were some correctable things there that could have been fixed. Um, but the Royals decided to let him go, and, and I don't necessarily understand the move, especially when it means keeping Jason Guzman and Chesler Cuthbert at the big league level, which is a move that just totally befuddles me. But um, yeah, so I think there's a couple surprises there. But the the uh, Jason Guzman, Chesler Cuthbert, and then Arnaldo Hernandez moves maybe uh, the loudest surprises of the group. Yeah, so I I agree with you on pretty much all fronts here. I I think Jason Guzman, like it's he's a very Royals type player, just super toolsy. Like can run really good in the field. The bat's good enough. Um, and obviously he's 20, so there's still time that he can, you know, turn a corner and can figure things out. But I do think it's interesting with him putting him uh, on the 40 now when he's going to be in high A this year. Like, it, to me, the, the timing of where he is and what his his line, you know, his uh, you know track line is going to be to the majors, you know, it doesn't seem to fit right now where the Royals are. They could use that 40 spot for somebody else. Uh, yeah, and you, and, you mentioned, and you mentioned sending him to high A, right? Yeah. So, he only gets he only gets three options. So this year the Royals are going to use option number one to send him to high A, and I just I, I don't know that I'm confident that he'll be in Double A at the end of the year. 
So Same. let's say that at some point in 2021, you got to send them to double A, which means in 2022, or, or yeah, in 2022, I think I've got my math right there. Yeah, that sounds right. He's going to, he's going to have to be a big leaguer at some point, um, which, which is interesting because I don't know if that's the trajectory he's on. Um, and maybe he is, and maybe he gets there, but if he doesn't, then you're talking about a 23 year old shortstop down the line that you're going to want to keep around to see how that development continues to play out. And so, I don't know. It feels forced. It feels like you could have very easily gotten by without protecting him. Um, but I thought we said the same thing about Elvis Luciano last year, and we lost him as well. So. Yeah. And then going back to your point about Arnaldo Hernandez real quick, I, I watched him a couple times uh, when Oklahoma City or when Omaha came down to Oklahoma City and when Northwest Arkansas went to Tulsa. And, you know, you, you know the big arm talent he has, his ability to hit those upper 90s. He wasn't doing that last year at all. And I think it goes back to what we, we've talked about before on this podcast a long time ago about him being too infatuated with – you know, having a little bit of sink or run to his fastball or a cut, you know, it's, uh, you know, maybe making that slider move a little more without a little bit sharper break, you know, with a little more velocity. We haven't seen him throw. I, I didn't see him above 95 the whole season. Uh, I, I saw him more in that 92 to 94, which is fine. But when you can throw 97, just let her rip, man. Especially when you're in AAA where the ball's flying to begin with, just go with velocity at that point. So, I can see the Royals parting ways with him. Now, the fact that he's 23 does, that does bother me a little bit because I'd rather see the Royals at least put him in the bullpen maybe this year in 2020 and just see what he's got. And maybe that could, you know, flip the switch and then he starts to let that fastball rip at 97 plus. But I I can kind of see both sides of the coin here of, you know, you see a guy with all this talent, but, you know, he's not putting it together and it doesn't seem to be going back to what has made him good and gotten him to where he was in the system at that point. For sure. And, and and I think people, you know, hear me get a little upset about the cutting of Arnaldo Hernandez and think, really, Arnaldo Hernandez, that's what you're worried about. And it's not so much that they cut him, it's who they chose over him. So like That's fair. The the, the keeping of Chesler Cuthbert, uh twenty what is he, twenty seven, twenty eight year old infielder with a negative career war. And and I was I think I I tweeted about that from the account, but I mean think about that. Fangraphs has literally told us that the Royals would be would have been better off having never played Chesler Cuthbert than they are by playing him. They're basically saying you can literally just find any old player and he will be of more value than Cuthbert is. And they decided to keep that guy over Arnaldo Hernandez, a 23-year-old who we've seen throw 97 at times. And so you say... Well, I like Cuthbert. Okay, well then Ryan McBroom, you know, is like the same guy as Chesler Cuthbert that plays a different position. So you kept Cuthbert and McBroom, who are essentially equally worthless, over Hernandez. I, I felt like it was redundant. So it, it kind of tells you that there's something going on behind the scenes that we have no way of knowing about. But it was just it was just a little puzzling, and it's a it's another move in the line of like. Brian Goodwin last year where you have this wild card that could be of some value somewhere for you and the Royals let them go without really seeing you know what that could look like right Drake will go to you same question you know is there any surprises either way of who is on the 40 man and who got DFA'd here I, I agree on Guzman I will say this you know like he's never quite 
figured it out on offense. Um, we know about the tools. Uh, he's got versatility to lend on defense. Um, he's never quite put it together on offense, but he did have a home run spike this year as power. Um, he was up to, I think, seven home runs, which more than did that more than double any other home run output he'd he'd had for a, a single season. Um, Foster Griffin is interesting to me just because, you know, he's never been a guy that's had sustained success, like over an extended period of time. He doesn't have, you know, even average velo uh, for for a major league starter. Um, it's going to be interesting. I just feel like I wonder if he was a guy that had been drafted later on and he had this stuff. Um, if we'd be talking about him right now, but since they spent that capital on him in the draft, took him early. Um, if they feel like he needs to be put on the 40 man, because it's going to be about that time where it's, you know, you're going to do something or, or, um, it's time to hit the bricks. I mean, it's a do or die essentially. Um, almost kind of feels like, you know, how they treated Bubba Starling, you know, we're going to keep you in the system. We're going to put you on the 40 man, even though you're not really doing anything to show us, you know, you're going to be on a winning major league roster. We want to see what you have. So I think that's why they brought him up. Carlos Hernandez is, is intriguing just because he's a big bodied guy with big stuff, big fastball, at least hopefully the secondaries uh, continue to improve and catch up. Uh, so he can be up with that wave, you know, probably, I don't know if we'll see him as quick as we will. Some other guys that are coming up in the system, uh, pitching wise, even Brady Singer or, or Daniel Lynch. It'll be interesting to see that as well. But I think at least you've got a, a solid bullpen option. Uh, I got to come in and throw some heat. Um, one thing I'm not surprised uh, is even though we're in that kind of limbo status with Alex Gordon to see if he's going to come back. So there may be a hole in left field. I'm really not surprised to see them um, uh, DFA Jorge Bonifacio. Um, he never really made the strides to become a fixture in the lineup like they they had hoped he would when he had a higher prospect status. And, um, you know, I, th I think the suspension didn't help matters. Um, I, I, I will say I wonder, too, um, there's, a, there's a couple guys here that are Rule 5 eligible and I wanted to get your opinions on it, uh, both of you. A um, couple guys. One guy has a super high ceiling that uh, has been in Royals top ten prospect list in the past, and another guy that just, I mean, he did great in Double A last year. Uh, the first one's Sully Matias, and the second one is Grant Gavin. And I wonder if um, maybe one of them shouldn't have been protected over. Uh, you know, say Foster Griffin or Jason Guzman or how your guy, your guys' feelings are in that regard. Yeah, so it's – I think that leads perfectly into what I was going to go go to next of the guys on the other side of the coin that, you know, did not get protected by the Royals. And let me go into those guys real quick. I need to pull those up. I'll interject here real quick. Sully Matias is not going to get drafted. And even if he gets drafted – he is not going to make a roster later than April 1st. He, he he would get chewed up and spit out so badly by major league pitchers. I mean, he, he would literally strike out in every single plate appearance. I, um, I agree so. with that, but do you worry? Is there a hint in the back of your mind with this 26 man roster? No. 
spot. No, nope. not even hint to nope. say because nope. you know what happened last year with um, with Toronto, and um, they were able to basically <clears throat> hide um, Luciano uh, uh, away. You know, uh, and you know, you, you'd see a guy hit it, hit the injured list. They'd bring up another guy, and he's pitched. yeah. But you'd still have to let him play because you got You got to play a certain amount of games. You got to be on the roster for a certain amount of days, anyway. So even if they did try to hide Suli, they can't put him on the sixty-day IL and then hide him there forever. Like he would have to play eventually. Right. He would literally strike out in every single plate appearance. And so, no, I think there's a zero percent chance anybody touches him. You mentioned Grant Gavin. That's a guy, if you want a bold prediction for this Rule 5 draft that's coming off season, that I think that's a guy who gets drafted. And I, I here's why. Agree. So the the Astros traded for Ryan Presley, who was a middling reliever, and, and he was pretty good, but not, you know. The Astros turned him into the best reliever in baseball because <laughs> he had a really good spin rate and a really good curveball. That is Grant Gavin. He has one of the best fastball spin rates in the entire organization, and his curveball is absolutely filthy. He tunnels them well. Um, he went up to drive line this offseason and got some work done on his curveball um, in regard to tunneling it with his fastball, made it even better. So uh, that's a guy that I really do think, especially because of the 26-man roster, you're going to see an, an analytically inclined team like the Reds, who have ties, obviously, with now with Kyle Bodie to driveline, um, the Phillies, the Astros, the Dodgers, the Brewers, somebody is going to take a chance on Gavin, I think. Um, and he's going to find himself, you know, in, at least in big league camp uh, this spring. He led the Royals minor leagues. I can't remember how many innings it was, but with a minimum of like 50 innings, he led all of Royals minor league pitchers in strikeouts per nine. Um, he, he does struggle with walks periodically, um, but the dude gets swings and misses. The spin rate is there, and I am afraid that – and I say afraid. He's, he's a good friend of mine, and I'm, so I'm biased, and I would not be afraid for him to succeed. But as a Royals fan, I am afraid that if he lands in the hands of someone who knows what they're doing – that he could be a very good reliever in the big leagues. And I, and I don't think a lot of Royals fans realize who this guy is either. So um, that's a guy that I am legitimately afraid we're going to lose. And it's not like, like, as a friend of Grant, I hope the best for him. But as a Royals fan, I don't know that the Royals, I don't know that I trust them to get the most out of him. But if he goes somewhere who they do know what they're doing, that could be a guy you go, how on earth did we not, figure that out like how like how did he become you know one of the better relievers in the american league and we had no idea you know even who he was when he was at double a for us yeah i 100 percent agree with you of the guys that were left unprotected uh, by the by the royals here he's the one guy that i think is a slam dunk to get drafted uh, i i agree with you that i i think that is the case um He's a guy that I think he's for sure is a big league reliever, whether it's going to be next season because he gets drafted rule five or the Royals, you know, he ends up back in Kansas City and the Royals bring him up. I think he's going to be an effective big league reliever, especially in Kansas City. If he gets somewhere where they really know what they're doing analytically and they can get the most out of that spin rate and that curveball, what he can do, man, he's going to be special. And I think he is a he's going to be a solid big league reliever for a while. And I hope that the Royals don't lose him because they left him unprotected because they don't know the commodity that they have in him. 
All right. I mean, there was a couple other guys, you know, on this on this list of of unprotected guys that are, are probably higher profile guys, you know, along with Matias. You know, we traded for Blake Perkins, uh, Chase Follow, um, you know, former high round draft pick. Um, you've got Sebastian Rivero, Emmanuel Rivera, Gabe Cancel, um, some other guys that are probably more well known. But as far as the guys that contribute and, and, and did the work this year, had a big year, uh, I think over 12 and a half strikeouts per nine, like he's not that far off. He's in double A. He's 24. He should be coming into his peak, peak age, you know, right now. Um, I wouldn't have been surprised if they would have protected him and, you know, he would have got a big league camp invite uh, and, and been competing in the spring, you know, especially with the weekend state of um of the bullpen as it is now why not give him a shot that's a puzzling thing to me yeah (laughs) yeah you mentioned all those other guys and and nobody i I don't think i'll push back a little bit on the slam dunk i don't think anybody's a slam dunk um to to be drafted in this thing um but but all those other guys you mentioned I, i don't think are anywhere close and and the 26 roster, the 26 man roster kind of muddle, muddies this a little bit because it's hard to know how teams are going to use that because we don't have any historical backing of how teams are going to use the extra roster space. And so we're kind of guessing. But I don't think the Royals are really in danger of losing anybody you mentioned previously other than maybe Gavin. And, and Sebastian Rivero, I could actually see. Because he is so good defensively, but again, he'd strike out in ninety percent of his bats, and they'd probably send him right back. Um, but there, there—I mean, there's a couple guys that I'm afraid they, that they might lose. But I don't think anybody else, other than Gavin and maybe Rivero, are in any danger. Um, so, and actually, I say that now that I'm thinking about that. I think Junior Marte, yeah, is actually eligible. He's an again. Uh, big arm reliever who has problems doing everything but throwing really hard um, and throwing, you know, good stuff. So um, we'll see in, on that one too. Um, I'm thinking about this real quick. So Gabriel Canso, I don't think he gets drafted, but with that 26 roster spot, because he's played first, he's played second, played third, you can hide him a little bit, but you can pretty much, like he can be a bat, he can pretty much be a, you know, a fifth infielder for a team when they need a bat right-handed. Like he, because he's, He's good enough defensively at those three positions that he probably could survive, but he'll strike out a ton. Uh, but I think he would be an interesting case with that 26 spot. Yeah, he, he was pretty bad down the stretch last year at double-A. And he struck out, and I, th- I think in the second half, he struck out in 34, 37% of his plate appearances. So, again, I mean, you're, if these were guys like Nicky Lopez who didn't strike out a ton, but maybe you're waiting for the rest of the tools to develop, I think those are guys you'd be more inclined to see, um, like Jason Guzman, quite frankly. Um, but I mean, when you talk about like Emmanuel Rivera, who has no like eye popping tools to speak of, or Gabriel Cancel, who strikes out way too much to be really even to start this year in AAA, I think. Um, I think you're going to see those guys stick around. I'm really not concerned at all that we might lose either of those guys. Um, who the Royals are high on both of them, by the way. So th- right. that's not like them saying, "Nah, let the birds have them." They're, you know, I know the Royals are, are are a little nervous 
um, about losing them, I just don't think there's a chance in hell that they actually lose either of those guys. Yeah, I think if if there's if there's any aspect of this 26 man uh, that you're going to see uh, as far as the Rule Five draft goes, I think you're going to see more gambles like the Blue Jays took last year and being able to stash, uh, stash a, a really raw but just insanely talented pitcher uh, and, and give him a minimum workload before sending him back down. Or you'll probably see some teams, maybe they, they find a guy that can play some fourth outfield late as a defensive replacement and also give them a pinch running. You know, somebody, somebody like a Terrence Gore type. Like That's one of the reasons I think you know Nick Heath has played himself into the 40-man. But if, if it was just, you know, if we had more guys – say, talented guys ready to come up, and Nick Heath was on that bubble, I think you'd see more teams uh, that would that would hold that in a very high regard with that extra spot. So, just my thought. Yeah, which makes DJ Burt an interesting, an interesting yes. case, because again, and, you know, last year there's a 0% chance that DJ Burt gets drafted. This year, you've had, you've seen DJ Burt play second base shortstop third base left field center field maybe even um and he can absolutely fly um and he played i mean i i think we saw was he in the australian league last winter where he went to the australian league and he made a play at third base he was either on a bunt or like a slowly hit ground ball and the throw he made from third base across the diamond was absolutely unbelievable um not that DJ Burt is anything like Nolan Arenado, but I mean, he made a play that only guys like Arenado and Matt Chapman and Manny Machado make at third base. I mean, it was incredible. Um, and he can, you know, he can def- defend all over the diamond at an adequate pay- clip. So for your 26th man, do you take the guy who can absolutely fly and play defense in a lot of spots and just let him sit there? And when you get to the playoffs, well, there he is. I, maybe, I don't know, but again, we're guessing because we've never seen it, but those are guys that I think could be susceptible to an opportunity that they would have never gotten before. A, f- a speedy utility defender sounds very Royals for their 26th spot. That yeah, sounds like their active roster. Like that, that too. Like <laughs> Guy that doesn't hit much that can play anywhere and can, will still play 150 backs. games for you. Eric Mejia, Humberto Artiago. Artiago. Yep. All right, well, I think that wraps up this talk. Before we move into uh, a bigger story about the the Royals possibly losing uh, three of their minor league affiliates, we'll be right back after a word from a sponsor. Now we're back, and the uh, minor league baseball and major league baseball have been in a Alex would probably tell the story a little bit better than I can. I've been working so much that this has been something that's kind of I've know enough about it that I you know can at least say that there is a good possibility that the Royals lose their affiliates uh, in Idaho Falls and Burlington, the rookie ball teams, and Low A in Lexington. There will be three of forty-two minor league teams that could possibly uh, be taken away. Alex, can you explain this a little bit more, maybe to me and some other uh, listeners that may not know enough about this? Yeah, I can do my best. I think essentially what it boils down to is that Major League Baseball wants to consolidate the rigors and the in the miserableness of minor league baseball by cutting out minor league baseball teams. So 
essentially what they're saying is, and I think is what I'm gathering is that, Hey, we have a problem. And instead of, so it'd be kind of like, I guess, like if you had a disease that was sweeping the nation and, and, you know, we were afraid it was going to potentially infect lots of people. And instead of finding a cure for the disease, we just killed everybody with the disease and said, nah, that'll take care of it. Um, so I don't understand. Uh, no, I, I, sh- I back up. I totally understand the line of thinking. They're trying, they're cheapskates trying to save a bunch of money. Um, but I do know that there are major league baseball teams fighting this. Um, we basically got a statement from the Royals that said we can't comment because we're in the middle of a negotiation. So there are clearly teams that are negotiating with major league baseball to not end minor league baseball, these teams, um, and I think there's a there's a big one going around is the Elizabethton Twins, I believe. Essentially, they had the choice of invest a million dollars in their police force or a million dollars in their minor league baseball team. And they obviously chose the minor league baseball team. And I may have that story messed up, but the gist of it is correct. Um, and so you have these cities who have invested tons of money into their right to have a minor league baseball team for a for a major league team. And now they're going to be stripped of that. And you think about, you know, towns like Lexington, Kentucky will will survive without minor league baseball. But there are other ta- cities that, you know, of which I'm not specifically aware uh, around the country that, you know, they probably minor league baseball might be a lot of what they have. Um, and, and just to see that major league baseball doesn't want to just invest the money that they 100% have the ability to invest in minor league baseball, um, you, you know, is a shame, but I do think this is, you know, this is kind of the capitalist, you know, world we live in where if you truly want a free market, then you have to allow, you know, organizations like MLB to operate, in whatever capacity they want. If they want to cut minor league baseball teams, then let the market decide if that's good or bad for baseball. So, you know, if, in in the human aspect of it, this sucks and this is brutal. This makes no sense. Like you literally are just, again, you're, you're killing the people with the disease instead of trying to fix the disease, instead of investing money in buses and in airplanes and, and in, in facilities for minor league players. They're just not going to pay for it anymore. Um, and they say they're going to re- reallocate those assets to other minor league teams that will still exist. I don't believe that. I think they're just going to pocket the money and run, which, again, the human aspect of it sucks. The capitalist aspect of it is the reality is that a lot of these guys aren't going to make it. And so you're paying for an entire major league baseball team to exist so that you can work out three of your best prospects every year knowing the rest of them rest of the players will not see the big leagues so it is a little it's a little tough um but man just to the idea of losing baseball teams unnecessarily uh is is not a whole lot of fun for anybody involved no you, you hate to see stuff like that especially like the rookie ball teams like in small towns where like baseball is king for 3 months and it's really cool to see especially when you know, like playoffs roll around in the Pioneer League and the you know the Appy League and all that, and it I don't know I I always hate to see baseball go away from anywhere. Um, I don't care where it is. Um, 
it's it's just one of those things like I I understand, but at the same time, man, like you take out rookie ball and the uh, and I'm just thinking from the perspective of the Royals here, you take out the two rookie ball teams, you know the the you know ones besides you know the team in Arizona and Loe, you're sending dudes almost straight to Wilmington. Congratulations, that's not I don't think that would end well whatsoever. Just from a just a developmental perspective. Yeah, and, and I think too though, just because you know the teams go away doesn't mean the Royals couldn't invest in another for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, a team in another league. So I mean, I, I think teams would find ways around it. It's just again this idea that Major League Baseball is going to tell Major League teams how many teams they can and can't invest in. It just seems like maybe that's an infringement on their right to develop players. You know, if the Royals right. want to pay money, if the Royals want to pay money to have 20 minor league baseball teams, who cares? Like if the, if the Royals are footing the bill and there are teams that are willing and ready and willing to, to form and leagues that are ready to, you know, let those teams play, then why is them? I don't, I think Drew hit the nail on the head in his article that you can find over at, on the site at royalsfarmreport.com it's it feels a lot like manfred trying to make his mark on a game that is not his you know and it's so frustrating in that regard that you know they're trying to meddle where meddling is not necessary um i just man i don't know i don't it, it's frustrating to watch um even if you know the principles of wh- whatever I, I just yeah anyway I'll let somebody else talk because it frustrates me. No, you're good. Drake, what, what are your thoughts here? All right. So <clears throat> from what I've gathered, uh, you're they're talking about shutting down basically 25% of minor league teams. And now, like any business decision, there is good and bad. Um, really, the only good thing that comes out of this, the remaining minor league players should see an increase in wage because that's been an ongoing thing. It's been getting more and more heat um, put upon the commissioner and Major League Baseball is uh, the fact that these minor league ball players aren't even making a you know a thousand dollars a month to live on, um, uh, and it should increase their, the the quality of life for them in that regard too. They should get better meals, uh, more access, uh, and uh, money for development purposes, um, things of that nature, better travel. Um, on the flip side of that, what's worrisome to me um, is we're not only talking about, yes, it, it, do, it does suck. There are going to be less opportunities for, for amateur ballplayers. And that sucks because there's a lot of times um, you'll have an amateur kid that goes undrafted um, out of high school um, or, or out of college and he may sign a deal. You know, he may not get to the point of the major leagues, um, but you're talking about limiting those opportunities. Um, the the worst part about it to me, the most worrisome part, is the impact it's going to have on local communities. You know, you're going to talk about these small towns uh, losing their teams. That's a sort, uh, you know, it's, it's a source of pride. Uh, it's a source of income. It boosts their economies. They get tourists that come to watch those games. And on top of that, you're going to lose people's jobs. You're going to cost, um, you know, working people to now go look somewhere else to work. You know, um, 
And and that's really disappointing to me because when you talk about Major League Baseball, you're talking about a conglomerate that's worth over $10 billion a year. Okay. Um, and when they do this, they're going to spin it just like any other big business. And it's going to be, well, we were able to get uh, these minor league ball players a higher wage. And they might even save money because they've shut down all these other parks. So they're going to get their cake and eat it too. And that's really disconcerting. You know, uh, minor leagues and the, and the farm system is, is just as big a part of baseball as, as anything else. You know, Branch Rickey, when he was in St. Louis, he is the, he is the first person to implement a farm system. And at some points, you know, uh, uh, I forget what when they began, but there were some teams that had 20 plus affiliates, you know, and you had baseball all over the country. Um, and it was a, a really prosperous time for baseball. And it was probably when baseball was by and far the most popular sport in America. And now you're talking about removing uh, these affiliated clubs from these small towns. And, and let's face it, when they go to independent uh, league status, the money's not going to be there for them to be able to pay these players. You you talk to indie ball players now and they're making like 400 bucks a month, if that, you know, Pecos League, they'll trade you for a bucket of balls. Um, it, it It's just not good for local economies. It's not good for baseball long term. It's not good for the players, um, except for the ones that do get to stick, you know. So I don't know. It's it's disappointing to hear. And I just know that w once it does happen, if it does go through, that Major League Baseball is going to come out. Manfred's going to come out and he's going to say, well, look what I was able to do. I was able to pay these minor league ball players uh, a little bit more money. Uh, and and he's going to make himself look like the good guy. And, and I don't think it's fair to, uh, to the public and I don't think it's fair to the players. No, there's, there's so much to unpack with this and that nothing has been approved yet. So there's still uh, a little uncertainty of what the next steps are here. And, you know, it hasn't been confirmed that Idaho Falls, Burlington and Lexington are actually going to be removed uh, from affiliate ball. So, this is stuff that is still in the works and there's a lot of speculation surrounding it. So as more news comes out and as more is confirmed, uh, we will definitely uh, be on here to talk about it. Uh, I think this was the first good episode back. It's like I said, it's been a long time. I don't think Alex and I have recorded since the summer. So it feels good to be back. feels good to talk some baseball. Uh, I think we're 80, 88 days till pitchers and catchers report, something like that. I have it up in the, on the fridge in my, uh, my uh, kitchen, uh, in my apartment with my wife and, uh, she looks at it every day and goes, "Why?" And like, it's ba it's baseball season all the time, and yeah. I, I got I got to have that, right? I need I need one, my one thing, you know. Yeah, who was it that said? I can't. There's a quote. It's like, "What do you do in the winter when there's no baseball?" He's like, "I sit sit there and watch, stare out the window until it's spring again." Pretty sure that was Babe Ruth, Whatever. but yeah. was it well, whoever it was? I think it was Babe Ruth. But yeah, it feels like that's about all I do is I sit around wait for baseball season and watch a little football to get me by. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a long couple of months here. And, and luckily I think baseball maybe more than any sport really, you know, does a good job of like organizing uh, the rule five draft and the winter meetings and creating, you know, 
free agency has been kind of a mess, but I, you know, maybe I just don't pay as much attention to other sports, but I feel like MLB does a pretty good job of organizing off season events and dates to kind of pique your interest every now and then. I think, you know, a better free agency period would obviously help that, but, um, you know, the NFL has the combine MLB has the winter meetings. I think there's a, there's a good bit of interest that goes on in the off season for, the invested baseball fan, if maybe not the casual baseball fan. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I agree with you there. So do you guys have any final thoughts here, baseball, Royals, or otherwise? Alex, we'll start with you. Uh, I do. I know the Royals, I think it was it was either Alec Lewis or Flanny. It was one of the, the big beat writers came out and mentioned that the Royals were going to take a, a drastically different approach to the offensive development you know in the minor leagues this this offseason going into next year and I, I can't help but wonder like I would love to be a fly on the wall and maybe we can do some digging and do a little dirt work here to get some of that info but um, they they need it desperately man you know when your two of your top prospects and MJ Melendez and Nick Prado go out and hit under 200 for the season and and, and to be to be fair like those I think those guys are capable of turning it around but you know, at no point in time did they ever really show a promise of being able to hit over 200. So it wasn't like, you know, they got off to a slow start and then hit 300 down the stretch. Like it was brutal all year. And and it was that way for like the entire team, not named Brewer Hicklin. Um, so I am glad to hear that the Royals are being vocal about going about some kind of offensive change, but man, they needed it because for a while there, Gabriel Cancel was like the only bright spot in the entire organization on the offensive side of the ball. Um, eventually, Brewer Hicklin and Khalil Lee kind of came into their own, and as Cancel fell off, I mean, it was brutal offensively for the Royals this year. So it's good to see that they are acknowledging uh, change um, and that we should get some get some uh, significant improvement heading into next season. And if we don't, then then maybe we know that it wasn't the organization after all maybe they just missed um on some of these players but it's good to hear them acknowledge out loud to the public that they're they've acknowledged change needed to be made and any change from from last year is welcome so we we're at a point now where it's almost i we're not a desperation time but these dudes need to develop quick uh especially after last season uh any any improvement they have this year even if it's marginal at least shows that the organization is heading in the right direction and that's what we can hope for here drake what do you have um you know i'm not as depressed as you guys i'm still really excited uh you know to finish this uh this football season really excited to see what old patty mahomes can do uh maybe there's a way we can sway him uh get him to sign a contract pitch a little bit out of the bullpen next year because the dude's got a cannon um other than that, I'm just I'm just ready for the holidays. Um, I'm, I'm worried about the cold because I hate the cold weather. But uh, you know, I'm just uh, you know we have our our chats you know every single day, and I always look forward to those because you know we learn something new every day. I think we all learn from each other, and um, you know the off season is a good time because there's always something new coming out. There's always a new piece of technology, or there's always a new theory on on how coaches are or are trying to improve their players. Um, 
And I think uh, I'm really excited to hear from you, Joel. Aren't you going down to the winter meetings this year? I, I was hoping to, but it didn't quite work out. It's actually a lot more expensive than I anticipated. But man, I, I want to get out there at some point, as soon as I can, for sure. We should start a fundraiser on the site, send Joel to the winter meetings. Hey, if we want to start that, I, I, I won't uh, turn that <laughs> opportunity down. <laughs> All right. Well, that's all I got, guys. Right, so my final thought, I'll, I'm, I'm going to stray away from baseball for just a second. I'm going to keep plugging. I'm an Oklahoma State grad, Oklahoma State fan. I do an Oklahoma State podcast. Uh, I'm going to plug my Heisman campaign for Chuba Hubbard right now, best running back in the country. Uh, actually, this past weekend, he set the all-time record for a Canadian running back, uh, all-time r- rushing yards by a Canadian. Uh, Wayne Gretzky has uh, offered his uh, you know, Hubbard for Heisman campaign. So is Howie Mandel and other famous Canadians. Uh, get get this guy to New York. He he's the best running back in the country, and he deserves it. So uh, Howie Mandel's from Canada. Yes, he is. Oh my gosh, I feel lied to. <laughs> if uh, if Ryan Reynolds somehow ends up uh, doing the Hubbard for Heisman campaign, uh, I think I think it's got it's a lock. He, he's gonna win it. If Ryan Reynolds was doing a football campaign, your chances of winning go down significantly. That dude was an absolute. Wait, do I have the wrong Ryan? Yeah, you're thinking of uh, uh, Gosling. Gosling. Can you think of Gosling? <laughs> well, never mind. All right. My bad. Either, either way, hashtag Hubbard for Heisman. Uh, Alex, where can everyone follow you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at dubious, D U V Y underscore zero one three. Drake? At Drake. Two nine eight five. Follow me at JT Penfield. Be sure to follow the main site at Royals Farm. And we will be back with another episode of the podcast here in the near future. There's a lot to talk about, a lot of storylines with the offseason. And we'll get them all to you uh, on the next episode.